Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for coming to this uh, second Africa Talk for the year. Um, I'm Kate Maher, and I'm the coordinator of Africa Talks and also uh, an associate professor in the, the Department of International Development. And I'm very happy to present tonight Professor Atahiru Jega, who is the um, recently completed uh, chairman of Nigeria's National Electoral Commission. Um, Professor Jega has quite a distinguished history, both academic and political. He has a, a PhD from Northwestern University and is a professor of political science and former vice chancellor of Bayoro University Kano in northern Nigeria. And he is also the author, co-author, and editor of a number of books on democracy and democratization in Nigeria and on uh, poverty alleviation. But he is one of the people who refutes the saying, those who can do, those who can't teach. Because not only is, does he have a distinguished academic career, but he also has an extremely distinguished political career of very constructive political activism. Uh, he's coming to us here from uh, uh, the Kofi Annan uh, uh, Electoral Initiative, where he was uh, participating in discussions among people engaged in conducting elections in difficult contexts. Um, but he also uh, is very recently the winner of the Charles T. Manat Democracy Award, which is given by the International Foundation for Electoral Services in Washington, D.C., where he stood up along the, the, alongside the likes of Nancy Pelosi in the U.S. Uh, for uh, commitment, uh, unswerving commitment to democracy. And I think if anybody looks at uh, Professor Jega's background, you can see that his commitment to democracy is indeed unswerving. Um, he was the president of the Academic Staff Union of Universities, affectionately known as ASU in Nigeria, in the early 1990s, where he negotiated a landmark agreement despite the heavy-handed tactics of the military dictatorship of Ibrahim Babangida. And I myself was a Nigerian academic at the time and very much uh, appreciated not only the agreement, which actually put me on a semi-living salary, but also the, the grace and leadership with which that agreement was negotiated. There was no... Uh, uh, reckless uh, campaigning. It was a very dignified uh, negotiation, a dignified strike that really stands as something that ASU members remember uh, to this day. He was also the, the, um, served as a member of the Justice Mohammed Uwais Electoral Reform Committee that delivered a report in 2008. And as I said, he was the chair of the Independent National Electoral Commission, uh, Nigeria's uh, National Electoral Commission uh, between 1910 and, uh, sorry, 2010 and 2015. And in the process, he presi presided over Nigeria's first successful transition of power from uh, the incumbent party to an opposition party, uh, which is something that was particularly remarkable given that the election that he was presiding over was a particularly fraught electoral circumstance in which uh, a number of uh, religious tensions had emerged. There was a very serious Islamic insurgency uh, raging in the north. The Niger Delta insurgents were threatening to uh, wreak havoc in the south. And uh, Professor Jega basically took the bull by the horns and organized an election that was not only 
quite calm and peaceful, but introduced a range of technological innovations um, that Nigeria was really trying for the first time and quite successfully carried off. Um, but uh, it carried it off again in the kind of calm, impartial manner for which he is increasingly becoming known. And I think the ability to engineer not only a calm election, but a very smooth handover in the process that actually ended up being a credit not only to the outgoing president, but to the incoming president, um, really says a lot about uh, the, the nature of the, the way in which the election was handled. And I, I would think that looking at the ability, Professor Jega's ability, to derive consensus from situations of conflict is one of the things that marks him as the kind of person we should be thinking about when we talk about African leadership. We're, there is often a tendency to think that African leadership is about politicians and uh, business people, but actually all people who participate in statecraft and the building of stable and effective institutions and a collective vision is what is really needed in the leadership that will move contemporary African countries forward. And I would like you to join me in welcoming Professor Jega tonight. Thank you very much, Dr. Kate Mega, for uh, that very kind introduction. I thank you for inviting me to give this lecture, and I thank all of you for being here uh, to listen to my presentation uh, here today. Um, the title of my presentation is uh, Nigeria's 2015 General Elections. Uh, giving democracy a chance. But my emphasis really is on what lessons we can draw from the conduct of the 2015 general elections in Nigeria uh, for other uh, African countries that are in transition to uh, democracy. Um, I will do a very brief introduction then I will discuss what we did in preparations for the 2015 general elections. I will highlight the changes and the innovations which we introduced uh, for uh, those elections. I will also touch upon some of the challenges we faced in, in uh, uh, bringing about those changes and the innovations uh, before finally zeroing down on the lessons uh, for Africa. Um, I think I don't need to go into uh, a general description of the background about Nigeria. I presume that most people in this room uh, already know that Nigeria is a very large country in Africa, uh, but a country that is also very diverse. And uh, Nigeria has also faced enormous challenges in the management of its diversity. And one of the major challenges has been in the conduct of elections, where the quarrelsome nature and disposition of the elite uh, manifests in what in Nigeria we call do-or-die uh, electoral politics. 
uh, and for at least one decade, that is between 1999 and 2010, under transition to democracy, uh, poorly conducted elections accompanied by bad governance have created widespread skepticism about the utility of periodic elections under liberal democracy as a panacea for the management of diversity, uh, for stability, and for socioeconomic uh, development. However, uh, sustained reforms from 2010 seem to have revived hopes in this uh, uh, management of diversity, especially with the acclaimed success of the 2015 general elections. Despite the highly polarized political environment and the complex electoral terrain, the 2015 general elections resulted in the country's first peaceful democratic transition of power. And the SK mentioned an incumbent party that has held power for over 16 years lost the election to an opposition party and the incumbent president uh, conceded defeat. The lessons from this, I believe, are significant, not just for Nigeria, but also uh, for Africa. And uh, as uh, the UN Secretary General, Mr. Ban Ki-moon, recently noted, when you change Nigeria, you also change uh, Africa. This presentation attempts to draw out some of these lessons as a contribution to the discussion on the viability of credible elections and their relationship to democratic consolidation in Africa. Nigeria's 2015 general elections took place, as many of you, I believe, are aware, on March 28th and uh, April uh, 11th. The elections became something of an enigma because of the enormous hopes and the anxieties that were at one and the same time expressed by the stakeholders. For example, in the run-up to the elections, there were many predictions which foresaw a hopeful turning point for the country, while there were also many others that foresaw an apocalyptic end. I think that the 2015 general elections captured the imagination of many observers because of the well-known difficult history of elections in Nigeria. In the past, Nigerian elections were characterized by violence, fraud, fierce ethno-religious squabbles, and prolonged disputation of results, all of which combined to place the country on a cliffhanger before, during, and after the elections. That history began to change with the 2015 general elections, which were widely acclaimed as credible, both by domestic and international uh, stakeholders. I believe that in some way the 2015 general elections became a hostage of the success of the 2011 elections. First, many observers doubted that the 2011 elections 
would be the success of the 2011 elections will be replicated. Secondly, because of the credibility of the 2011 elections, political opposition also felt more confident that there, there would be a level playing field in the 2015 and therefore upscaled their preparations. And thirdly, there was a sense in which that the 2011 politicians taught many politicians a bitter lesson and therefore a widespread backlash against the conduct of free, fair, and credible elections by politicians who supposedly were caught unawares in 2011 was anticipated in 2015. I'm glad that many of the negative prognoses did not come true, but still, the Independent National Electoral Commission which I have had the privilege of leading for five years between 2010 and 2015, was well aware that the 2015 elections would be a major litmus test for Nigeria's democracy and that the outcome would be significant both for Nigeria and for Africa. It could easily place Nigeria on the path to full democratic consolidation and be a good example for other African countries to learn from or, in equal measure, it could reverse all the gains of 2011 with potential negative consequences, not just for Nigeria, but also for Africa as a whole. Apart from this critical implication of the 2015 elections, they are also unique in one other sense. The elections would be the first time in Nigerian history that one commission conducted two consecutive elections. While this may not immediately come across as significant, it is very much so in the Nigerian context. In the past, because of the difficulties we have had with elections, each commission was practically disbanded after every election. In fact, commissions were blamed for everything that went wrong with elections, and in the aftermath of each election, Debates on electoral reforms inevitably centered on the commission. The outcome was often the disbandment or non-renewal of the appointment of the commission and the empanelment of a totally new one. Hence, no commission had the opportunity to learn from its experiences in one election and to apply this to the next election. Institutional memory was widely regarded as tainted from one commission to another, and each commission practically had to start from scratch in order to assuage public anger about the preceding elections. The 2015 general elections, therefore, provided the first chance for an electoral commission in Nigeria to conduct one election and use the experience of its successes and shortcomings in preparing for the next. In this presentation, I first review what we did in preparing for the 2015 elections, especially focusing on what I believe are key issues worthy of note and also the challenges we encountered. And then I suggest some lessons for the rest of Africa arising from our experiences. INEC recognized the primacy of adequate preparation in the lead up to the 2015 elections and focused attention on that. 
the commission had only nine months to prepare for the 2011 general elections. And within those nine months, we had to engage the legislature to change the constitution, to review the electoral act. We had to do a biometric registration and then conduct the election. So we really had no time. We just addressed issues pragmatically in those nine months. But after the 2011 general elections, we had a lot of time to do reviews, to do assessments, and to do comprehensive planning, planning both strategic and specific election day uh, planning. Preparations for the 2015 general elections had four aspects, mainly learning, innovating, partnering, and then steadfastness of the commission, particularly in the implementation of the plans. In terms of learning, we spent a lot of time trying to learn from our 2011 experiences. That learning process has three main dimensions. First, we reviewed our experiences of the 2011 general elections. Second, we then used our findings to reform both the organization and the infrastructure for conducting elections. And third, the review and the reforms informed our specific planning for the 2015 general elections. Immediately after the 2011 elections, starting from around June 2011, the Commission began a comprehensive review of the conduct of the 2011 elections. This review was in three phases. The first phase involved internal retreats with different groups in the Electoral Commission, all the electoral officials, what in Nigeria we call the administrative secretaries and the resident electoral commissioners. We had a meeting with the commission itself, which consists of the chair and 12 national commissioners. And we had extensive review of what actually went wrong or what was done right in the conduct of the 2011 general elections. The second aspect of this review is debriefing retreats and the meetings with major stakeholders and partners, particularly political parties, the media, civil society organizations, even the security agencies under what we called the Interagency Consultative Committee on Election Security, and also development uh, partners. And the Commission asked them to conduct an, uh, a general assessment, uh, and we noted all of these points, and then we factored them into our preparations for the 2015 uh, general uh, elections. Then we had the registration and the election review committee, which is a committee we established after 2011 elections, consisting of people from the academia and civil society organizations to give us an independent review and assessment of both the registration, the biometric registration, which we did before the 2011 elections, as well as the conduct of the elections. And of course, they made major recommendations, many of which we now factored into our plans and preparations for the 2015 uh, general elections. And uh, uh, 
I would like to give you some highlights of some of the things we've done, learning from our mistakes in 2011 and taking into consideration many of the recommendations that we got from the range of stakeholders that we engaged uh, in preparing for the 2015 general elections. For example, we undertook a comprehensive review and reorganization of INEC, that is the Independent National Electoral Commission as an institution. We engaged a management consulting firm that gave us recommendations in terms of how to restructure INEC and how to make it a compact, effective, and efficient election management body. So we did a comprehensive restructuring of the commission, in particular drawing on the recommendations of that management consulting firm. We developed a communication policy uh, which helped us to engage uh, uh, both other stakeholders as well as improve our communication within the commission. And we also had a strategy for the implementation of this communication policy. We also developed a new gender policy which is designed to make the commission's work more gender sensitive in line with uh, global uh, best practices and also targeted at improving the participation of women and the empowerment of women in the Nigerian electoral process. We reviewed the existing legal framework and made recommendations to the National Assembly for improving the Electoral Act and also the constitutional provisions uh, which we operated for the 2011 elections, hoping that the 2015 general elections would have a better legal framework. Uh, uh, regrettably, this is one area where uh, not much was, was done uh, because even though we engaged the National Assembly as I, uh, much earlier uh, from around 2012, uh, as of the time we conducted the 2015 general elections, uh, there was no review of either the Constitution or the Electoral Act. So we still had to use the same legal framework which we used for 2011 elections to conduct the 2015 general elections. But we also did something. Uh, uh, we established a committee that we called a Committee on the Review of Election Cases. In Nigeria, litigations are enormous, and uh, that was why the concession made by President Jonathan was really unique because virtually every uh, uh, electoral outcome ended up in litigation in courts. And they go from the tribunals to the courts of appeal up to the uh, Supreme Court. Uh, and there were many cases in which the commission or its staff were indicted for either breaches of the Electoral Act or a number of irregularities. So leading to the 2015 general election, we had an independent committee that studied all the litigation from 2007 to 2011 general elections, identified areas where either the staff of the commission or the commissions itself was indicted, and we took sanctions where there was indictment of staff, and then where the commission was indicted, we reviewed what were the challenges and tried to improve uh, upon those. And we believe that this uh, uh, doing so, first of all, helped us to remove those that could be perceived uh, to be bottlenecks in the conduct of the elections, uh, but it also uh, helped us to improve the process, uh, particularly where there were glaring uh, irregularities. Then 
we did a strategic plan and uh, uh, covering the period between 2012 and 2016, and we pursued the implementation of that strategic plan very uh, 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 religiously. Um, the strategic plan was aimed at not only making the 2015 general elections much, much better than 2011, but we wanted it to be a framework for making the Independent National Electoral Commission in Nigeria as one of the best election management bodies uh, in the world. Uh, then, of course, we focused attention on drawing a detailed election project plan, uh, which again we put into implementation leading to the 2015 uh, general uh, election. We revised the guidelines and the regulations for elections and improved upon them. And uh, we did what was called optimization and deduplication of the register, the biometric register, which we compiled in uh, 2011, before the 2011 elections. Now, this is quite significant because by doing this, we were able to remove about 4 million people from the register that are actually duplicates. Uh, when we did registration in 2011, we had about 73.5 million registered voters. Uh, by the time we finished this deduplication before the 2015 general elections, the register had come down to about 69 uh, uh, million. And in the past, uh, all these ghost voters and the dead people would somehow find their ways <laughs> and vote uh, in, the, in the electoral process. So this is a significant, remarkable improvement uh, uh, leading to the 2015 uh, general uh, elections. And then, of course, after optimizing the register and removing duplicates, then we printed what we call the permanent voters' cards. Uh, when we did the registration in 2011, we gave what we call temporary voters' cards, or TVC, which were really just uh, printed papers called laminated. But then after the deduplication, we produced the permanent voters' cards, and they were smart cards with chips that contained all the biometric details of the registered voter, from the 10 fingerprints that were captured uh, to the photograph uh, 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 and the other uh, details, uh, uh, demographic details. We introduced what we call an election management system, which, coupled with the reorganization of the commission, uh, helped us in terms of improving efficiency and effectiveness in the way in which the commission conducted uh, its business. And then INEC has an electoral institute. Uh, we tried to reposition the electoral institute, uh, reconstituted the board, and uh, brought in uh, a reputable academic as a new director general uh, in order to help us build a center of excellence for the commission in terms of research and uh, training. There are so many other things we also did. Some of this I will just run through. Uh, a graphic design center helped us to have the in-house capacity to design our own materials uh, before we take camera-ready 
materials for the printers. In the past, the ballot papers, uh, result sheets, and everything was done outside by consultants and contractors. But this gave us the capacity to be in charge of the design uh, of our particularly sensitive uh, electoral materials. Uh, we also did preliminary work uh, in terms of reviewing electoral constituencies and polling units. We recognize that in Nigeria, for example, the electoral constituencies we've been using were the ones created in 1996, and they were created under military rule, and there are huge disparities uh, uh, in the sizes of these constituencies. And we felt that, and, and it was from those, that effort as constituency delimitation that also uh, led to the creation of the polling units. So we thought that before 2015 general elections, we needed to do something in terms of review of electoral constituencies and uh, uh, polling units. So regrettably, we couldn't do this. Uh, uh, hindsight, um, we left it until too close to the election, and by the time we tried to do it, it was a hot potato politically, and we just had to drop it because politicians began to use it as something to create ethno-regional divides within the commission, and uh, 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 we just had to drop it and focus on preparations for the election. So really that's one key area, I believe, in Nigeria for future electoral reforms uh, leading to the 2019 uh, general elections. Um, then we produced and deployed smart card readers. Uh, we thought that it was not enough to, to, to give... Uh, permanent voters' cards to readers, uh, I mean to, to voters, uh, we thought that we should also find a way of ensuring that we deploy technology using card readers that can read the cards and ensure authentication and verification of voters. I think this was a major technological uh, 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 innovation that we, we used for the 2015 uh, general elections. As I said, there are many other things we've done, uh, uh, which perhaps, uh, because of time, uh, I would uh, uh, try and, and, and skip. Uh, this is how the permanent voters' cards uh, 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 looks. This is my own card. Um, the interesting thing is that it, it, has, it, it has a contactless chip not the, the contact chip that you normally see on uh, Visa and MasterCard and so on. Uh, and uh, it carried all the biometric details of the voters. These are the card readers we used, handheld devices, uh, which on election day, you swipe the card under the uh, uh, smart card reader and all the details that are captured will show uh, and then you take the next step and the voter will use his, his or her fingerprint uh, so that they can be verified uh, as the registered uh, voters. Um, during, before the elections and during the elections, those who followed the Nigerian electoral process, uh, there was a lot of engaging discussion uh, uh, about the use of the card readers. And uh, uh, even though there were challenges, particularly in the production and distribution of the cards, and uh, also 
failures in terms of the card readers uh, functioning, but the failures really were statistically insignificant. At the time they happened, it created a lot of anxiety in the process and even forced the commission to begin to even review some of its rules as the elections were taking place. But at the end of the election, when we reviewed it, the failure of the card reader was statistically insignificant. Only 0.28% of the 155,000 card readers that we deployed actually failed on election day. And we believe that this is a very good record, although, of course, there are challenges of deployment of technology that we need to keep on reviewing and addressing for uh, the future uh, of our electoral uh, process. Uh, I want to draw out what I consider to be especially noteworthy uh, 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 issues associated with what we did between 2011 and 2015, uh, uh, which added tremendous value to the uh, electoral process. Uh, for example, uh, we had a vastly improved organizational and administrative framework for the elections deriving from the restructuring and reorganization of the commission. We also have, we had a vastly improved institutional framework as a result of the strategic plan and the several policies and guidelines that we introduced before the election. And then of course, several of the innovations that we introduced, especially the use of technology in the electoral process, the card reader, the permanent voters cards, uh, and the management, and in the management of the elections, helped to improve the overall quality uh, of the elections. Um, there was also high-level confidence of many stakeholders in the commission's management of the process, and I think this is particularly uh, significant uh, because uh, even when there were challenges in the distribution of the cards. And when one of the parties, in fact the leading party, when they, I think, on hindsight again, recognized what the use of the permanent voters cards and the card reader was going to do in terms of eliminating fraudulent activities associated with Nigerian elections and tried to oppose their use, many stakeholders actually continued to have confidence in the commission which made us to remain focused and to continue uh, uh, the preparations and the eventual utilization of these uh, innovations. But I think what is also noteworthy in the Nigerian context is the government's apparent commitment to successful elections, particularly in providing the requisite funding which is required. Elections are very costly affairs, and in a country the size of Nigeria, uh, really... Uh, the funding requirement was quite extensive. Even though uh, when we compare uh, expenditure per voter, which I think is now becoming a major uh, uh, index in comparing the cost of elections, the, Nigeria, the cost in Nigeria per voter was really comparative to Kenya and to Ghana. Uh, but uh, still, in terms of the actual capital outlay, it is, it's quite a lot uh, of money. And uh, uh, unless a government is committed to provide that kind of funding, particularly given the new technologies we introduced, uh, there would have been serious challenges 
in, in having a credible election. We also established partnerships, which we believed worked very well, and one of those had to do with the Interagency Consultative Committee on Election Security. Uh, when we started this, uh, many stakeholders were wondering what has security got to do with elections. And we said in the Nigerian context, there are systemic challenges and security issues are, are, are one of those. And that unless we get security agencies to play a credible but uh, a, a controlled role in the electoral process, uh, there would continue to be challenges. And that the electoral process needed to be secured, both the environment for elections and the personnel and the materials for the election. And this partnership uh, uh, helped us tremendously uh, in doing that. But we also had partnerships with uh, uh, IPAC, the Interparty Advisory Council, and uh, the political parties. We met with them regularly. We also created a platform for meeting with civil society organizations and also uh, met periodically with all development partners under the UNDP uh, uh, coordinated uh, joint donor basket fund uh, for democracy and governance in Nigeria. And an important aspect of that fund had to do uh, with, with elections. Now, all these are the things that we did and uh, uh, which uh, I believe uh, helped in terms of the credibility of the electoral process. But of course, there were many challenges, as you can guess, uh, in, in doing all of this, even though we had a greater time frame than we had in 2011. And uh, preparations for a management and conduct of elections were characterized by numerous and multifaceted challenges. These challenges raise, range from those concerning the technical aspects of compiling a biometric register of voters to those associated with the innovative use of adaptable technology in the accreditation of voters to those related to setting up of an upgradable national database of registered voters because we had to set a database at the national level with two disaster recovery centers in addition to establishing a database for the register in each of the 36 states in the Federation and the FCT. And, and really, this is a huge uh, undertaking. Uh, to challenges associated with increasing transparency and credibility of the electoral process, uh, uh, to those associated with reforming the electoral legal framework, but most especially challenges associated with the intricate relationships with a range of stakeholders, such as the government in power, the opposition politicians, the civil society organizations, and the development partners in Nigeria's highly polarized uh, political environment. I believe that of all of these challenges, I can identify at least five which were daunting and which are still persistent and which, again, future electoral reforms in Nigeria would need to pay attention to. Uh, the first has to do with what I call the apathetic and skeptical citizenry. Uh, one of the biggest challenges was that many voters after the 2007 elections believed that votes don't count that Nigerian politicians, one way or the other, by hook or by crook, using do-or-die uh, uh, mindset, uh, would dis will 
have the outcome that they wanted. And increasingly, many citizens lost hope in election uh, being a good uh, a platform or, or, or uh, uh, avenue of managing diversity or even bringing about credible uh, representatives uh, or people in government. And uh, it was very challenging to do voter education, to do sensitization, and to do uh, uh, public enlightenment to get people to realize that their votes can count and that they need to remain engaged uh, in the electoral process. Uh, matters were not helped by the fact that budget for voter education is usually very, very a small percentage of the total budget for elections. And also development partners do not provide funding for things like voter education because they argue that uh, there are no good indicators or measures of impact and that this is something long-term, trying to change mindsets and attitudes. Uh, so it, it's very, very challenging. And in Nigeria, where you have a very high percentage of illiteracy, some say up to 51%, you can imagine the challenges of, of trying to do sensitization, voter education, and so on. So this is a persistent challenge, and I think future electoral reform efforts need to also focus attention on that. But I think the major challenge has to do with the do-or-die mindset of our politicians. They believe that they have to win by hook or by crook. And uh, they have to use money. If money doesn't work, they have to use harassment and intimidation. If it doesn't work, they can even kill. Uh, maybe Nigeria is not unique, but I believe that the breed of politicians that we have are probably uh, uh, something else, I, th I think, in relative terms. Um, and that mindset has not changed uh, remarkably. Um, probably the commission was a step ahead of them in preparing for the 2015 general elections, uh, but they can go back and regroup and they begin to plan on how to undermine the card reader and other things. So it's very, very important that future reform efforts also focus attention in terms of... Uh, <coughs> how some of these things can be institutionalized uh, and uh, made a permanent feature of Nigeria's electoral uh, process. There are also constraints related to uh, the existing legal framework. Uh, as I said, we had to do the election with the same electoral act that we used for the 2015, uh, 2011 elections and the same constitutional uh, provisions. And in, in doing the 2011 elections, we saw gaps and uh, issues which needed to be addressed. I'll give you just a few examples. Um, building or consolidating democracy requires that political parties uh, have what is called internal party democracy. Unfortunately, the Nigerian existing legal uh, framework, the, the uh, Electoral Act, has two contradictory provisions. It has section 87 that says that party primaries must be conducted through democratic means. But then it had another provision, section 31, that said that the electoral commission cannot reject any candidate submitted by a party for any reason whatsoever. That's actually the, <laughs> the phraseology. 
you know, and uh, in practice, we, we are empowered by the same law to monitor party primaries. So we monitored party primaries. We saw those who emerged through democratic means, but the people that were sent to us, uh, either, either number three, so number one, number two were ignored, or actually did not even participate in the democratic uh, primaries. But the law says we cannot reject it for any reason whatsoever. So we wanted that particular provision to be amended before the 2015 general elections, and nothing uh, was done. Another challenge, constitutional provision, for example, uh, requires that in case of a runoff, whether governorship or presidential, a runoff election must hold within seven days. And it, it's, it's virtually impossible to do a runoff, presidential runoff. Maybe we can manage governorship election, but presidential runoff election cannot be done uh, in seven days. Uh, so we wanted the constitutional, that aspect to be amended. It wasn't amended. So you can imagine our anxiety uh, leading to the 2015 general elections when things were becoming too close because if there was a runoff, there would have been a serious constitutional crisis in our country because we could not have managed. I believe we could not have managed a runoff within seven days. And this is not... In Nigeria, the legislature has what they call... Um, uh, what do they call it? Um, uh, eh? No, 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 no. no. Um, uh, okay. Uh, they, they, they said that things can be addressed. Uh, they have a phrase. I'm sorry, I've forgotten about it. But the issue was that they said that things can be addressed by expediency. You know, but this is not an issue, uh, believe me, that can be addressed by expediency if there was... Uh, 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 a constitutional crisis are related uh, to, to that. So future electoral reforms also need to address removing some of these uh, weaknesses in the existing legal framework. I gave only two examples, but there are many which from our practice uh, we have seen. And of course in 2015, the same things that we saw in 2011 were also repeated in terms of candidates that were submitted that did not emerge through uh, democratic uh, primaries and so on and so forth. Uh, but there are also other challenges which uh, are general. Uh, um, for example, we tried to make INEC, the Electoral Commission, a strong institution through restructuring and reorganization, but we were doing it in a context in which virtually all other public institutions a week, and so it's a very constraining environment, uh, 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 and there are also many what I call systemic peculiarities. Uh, uh, for example, security is a serious issue, uh, uh, which I believe is a systemic challenge, and uh, uh, we all had to do elections within this kind of environment. So these are challenges that uh, are really will persist and a lot of subsequent reform efforts have to focus on how to address this. And then, of course, our use of technology, which has been hailed as innovative and uh, which has added tremendous value in the integrity of the election. We also had to do it in what I call an infrastructure-challenged environment for electoral adaptation. Um, uh, 
for example, uh, SMS uh, you know, internet coverage, you know, and the SMS uh, um, uh, mo global mobile services do not cover all our polling unit areas. Maybe only about 75% are covered. And here we are trying to use a technology where uh, information can be sent real time to a database. Uh, so we have to design methodologies that can make exceptions in places where there are no uh, uh, such uh, coverage. And it was very, very challenging uh, indeed. Or even batteries. We conduct elections in uh, primary schools, public schools, and public facilities. And not all of these uh, have electricity. And even though um, we decided to use batteries and backups, still charging those batteries and backups preceding the day of an election were very, very challenging. So there are a lot of some of these uh, uh, challenges. So how these challenges were addressed, how we were able to address them, uh, I believe uh, also reveal good lessons for sustainable electoral reform processes in Nigeria in particular and also for other African countries in transition to democracy in general. Uh, let me now come to the lessons uh, that we can glean from our own experiences uh, uh, for the African countries. I believe that first and foremost, uh, developing capacity to make elections a routine affair enables election management bodies to learn from their experience to improve from one election to another. So effort by election management bodies to uh, routinize elections, if, if that's a good word, I think is absolutely uh, necessary. Uh, experience sharing also amongst election management bodies is also very critical as part of the learning process. Um, in addition to the reviews that we did after 2011, I think in March 2012, we invited uh, uh, electoral commissions uh, all over Africa, and 27 were represented in what we call an experience sharing conference in Abuja, where we discussed what we did, where we listened to how they addressed some of the challenges that we confronted, and these are some of the things that we took on board in our preparations for the 2015 general elections. Uh, I think that this lesson sharing experience is one area that needs to be promoted, and uh, I think development partners have a role uh, in addition to organizations such as the ECOWAS and the African Union. It's very, very important that we share experiences. Uh, in fact, sharing experiences may also lead to sharing resources, which can help. Because I know that many African countries inquired as to whether they could also use our biometric registration equipment uh, for them to, to do biometric registration. And uh, 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 there are challenges because this was never done before. You know? So if we begin to work together, we can begin to develop common protocols in terms of how we can share resources uh, uh, in the work of election management bodies. Uh, but a major lesson uh, has to do with also the striving by the Electoral Commission to gain the trust and confidence of stakeholders. Uh, because this is of immense importance. A careful reconstruction of this trust should be a major focus of an African EMB. Uh, there is a tendency for an electoral commission to say that our business is just to manage 
uh, elections. You know, but the processes and the interactions and the relationships leading to the conduct of an election are very, very important. Unless there are avenues to allow stakeholders to, to listen to explanations, to ask questions, and to ventilate their anger, because political parties really want those kinds of platforms, uh, then they are, you will carry a lot of pent-up anger uh, into the election, which could have been addressed if there are platforms for consultations and discussions and uh, uh, dialogue. Uh, uh, of course, adequacy and timely release of funds uh, are very, very important in preparations for the elections. But what is most significant here is the pursuit of both institutional autonomy of electoral commissions and uh, financial autonomy of electoral commissions. In the Nigerian context, we were lucky that the Constitution guaranteed financial autonomy in some form for the commission. Uh, uh, the funds of INEC were defined as a first-line charge on the consolidated revenue, uh, and, uh, uh, but then the government will have to have the political will to disperse the funds as and when due. And again, we were lucky in Nigeria, the government actually uh, released uh, those funds. Otherwise, an electoral commission would become hostage uh, to uh, uh, the bureaucracy, if not the government, in terms of the funds that it requires to be able to conduct a credible uh, election. Uh, another big lesson uh, has to do with strategies for gradual introduction of appropriate and adaptable technology. And we've learned the bitter lesson in terms of uh, the int introduction of uh, the technology for uh, smart cards as well as for the card readers. For the smart cards, we used open source software, and we had a group of very young Nigerians who helped us to, to design the registration software because we were trying to avoid challenges of using vendors which could really create uh, uh, either dependency or obstructions. Uh, and we've had that experience in Nigeria in 2006, 2007, when we first experimented with uh, a biometric registration. So by doing this, we, we owned the software, uh, and uh, we also ensured that we in-house developed all the... Uh, 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 the, uh, the guidelines and the framework uh, 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 you know uh, and, and the, the in terms of the standardization and the specifications for the equipment that we use for the uh, registration uh, again in the past proprietary rights and the competition amongst vendors uh, uh, ensured in 2007, for example, that we had three vendors that did that provided the equipment for registration, you know, and they all used different softwares. And at the end of it, you cannot integrate the data at the back end, you know, because of uh, proprietary rights and competition amongst vendors. But using our own software and providing specifications for the back end and uh, uh, even in the design of the uh, laptops that we used uh, uh, helped us to minimize uh, uh, those challenges. 
Uh, I think in future, again, this is an area where uh, uh, we, I think there is no alternative. We have to increasingly begin to use technology in our electoral processes. I believe in Nigeria, as in many other African countries, we are probably uh, 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 many years away from even beginning to do electronic voting. You know, uh, but, but we can use technology in some way and in the ways in which we used it in registration and in verification and authentication of voters on election day certainly added value uh, and improved the transparency and credibility of the election. You know, but we have to begin to engage uh, uh, how to deal with vendors and how to, to really uh, put technology to good use. Uh, Another lesson for African countries, which I think uh, can be learned from our own uh, experience, is in terms of deployment of what I call an election risk management tool. Uh, in a country as diverse as Nigeria and very conflict-ridden, uh, uh, where elections uh, have a history of uh, conflicts and violence, uh, it's very, very important that we have measures in place that can enable an electoral commission uh, not only to have early warning systems, but also gather information about key variables that can result in election conflicts and violence and begin to take preventive or mitigation measures, or even begin to pass this information to the security agencies so that they can also take effective measures of containment or prevention. And we were able to use a tool developed by International IDEA and supported by the African Union uh, uh, for our 2015 general election. And uh, this helped us, for example, to map risks associated with elections all over the country, you know, in terms of... Uh, uh, we used uh, um, green, amber, and red uh, mapping uh, methodology, uh, and uh, we were able to work through the Interagency Consultative Committee on Election Security, sharing this information to be able to anticipate challenges and to prepare adequate measures to deal with them. I think that many other African countries that have elections that are conflict-ridden conflict uh, can benefit a lot uh, uh, from, from uh, utilization of this kind of uh, election risk management or early warning uh, uh, system. Um, I would like to conclude by saying that Nigeria's 2015 elections have been acclaimed as free and fair and there is no doubt that they represent a remarkable break from the vicious cycle of uh, poorly conducted elections of the past. But I must say that to get these things right, there are many challenges and there are still many daunting challenges that need to be addressed in terms of uh, consolidating the gains of the 2015 uh, general elections. But I also believe that there are many good lessons, nonetheless, that can be learned uh, from the Nigerian experience uh, for uh, uh, other countries uh, in Africa. And uh, I want to thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you.
Okay, thank you very much for a, a very lively and enlightening presentation. We have about 25 minutes for questions. I think we'll take them in groups of three. Is that all right with you? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, I remind you to please um, keep them reasonably brief and get to the, the point. Um, and that way we can get as many people who are interested in commenting as possible. So perhaps we can go for the first three. I saw one woman there first, the second one here, and you two simultaneously. Um, my name is Chibundo Nuzo. I'm a researcher and I write freelance for The Guardian. Thank you for your presentation. Firstly, good to see you in a suit. We are used to seeing you in your uniform of a white barbaric. So nice to see you like this. Um, I think we, I was in Nigeria during the elections and we all saw the elder or Rubebe kind of interjection. And we all just kind of wondered how you kept so calm and how, whether you meditate, what kind of zen, <laughs> or what, what do you use? And secondly, I know you've obviously had a fantastic profile. You've built your profile nationally. And you talked about the poor standard of politicians that we have. So I'm going to ask, I'm sure you get asked this a lot, if you're going to move from counting votes to campaigning for them. Thank you. Okay, and Omar here. Uh, great, thank you very much, uh, Omar McDoom. I'm a political scientist here at the London School of Economics. Um, whenever I get into conversations with uh, people about democracy in Africa, they get tribal, and they usually belong to one of two tribes, either the Afro-optimists, who think there's progress on the continent, and then the Afro-pessimists, who kind of see the glass half-empty. And I sense from your presentation you're kind of a cautious Afro-optimist. Um, you were very good in presenting what you felt were the, the managerial and the technical and even the legal problems and challenges that you experienced as the head of the election commission in Nigeria. But I was hoping you might be willing to share with us what you felt were some of the political pressures, the more explicitly political pressures that you, as the chair of the commission, experienced, and perhaps more importantly, how you actually withstood them. Um, perhaps you meditated, I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> whatever, what, what advice you have for that, because Afro-optimists often point to the independence of election commissions in Africa as a sign of progress and change. Okay, and there are two gentlemen here, maybe the first one closest to me. Hello, hi, Prof. Nice to see you. I'm Tundi. I'm one of the master's students in health policy, planning, and finance. I'm just having a look at the INEC website. Um, I'm having a look at the functions of the commission as stipulated in the 1999 constitution. Um, number three says that the um, INEC was monitor and organize um, the operations of political parties and also um, have a look at the finances of the parties. Uh, I just want to know, on the, 90, on the 2015 um, elections, how involved was INEC in um, the funding of the political parties? Um, thank you. Okay, maybe you can hold off. We'll take these three and then you'll be first. Um, the, the, with regards to the first question, I, I want to answer it in a very indirect way. I, I want to say that um, uh, the challenge for us really uh, is to use every opportunity that we have uh, to add value, 
to reform processes in our countries. And uh, if we can withstand the pressures and resist the temptation and uh, remain focused on doing what needs to be done to bring reform measures that can impact positively in our polity, then we should uh, do that. And, uh, and uh, I was lucky to be uh, an academic who has studied uh, the Nigerian uh, 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 political situation for a while and um, the electoral process in particular. I was also lucky to be a member of the Justice Waste Electoral Reform uh, Committee. And uh, when I was given this opportunity uh, to uh, lead the commission, uh, I was able to draw from all of those experiences uh, 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 and, and I'm glad that it, it, it worked. Um, but uh, I have gone back to the university and uh, I would want to continue to reflect on these issues and to contribute uh, to them. And I don't see myself moving, making a move <laughs> uh, from counting votes to campaigns, if, if uh, you get what I mean. Um, but... Uh, uh, no doubt I'm an incurable optimist uh, uh, about um, Nigeria and about uh, positive changes and uh, deepening democracy uh, in Africa. Uh, and I believe that we all need to use whatever opportunity we have uh, to, to contribute to that. Uh, but it is not easy uh, 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 really driving that optimism, you know, in, in, in the kind of context uh, that I found myself. Uh, so one has to struggle to retain one's sanity, uh, to be able to contend with all the pressures and all the diversions uh, that are deliberately thrown in the way uh, by politicians uh, in order to, to have uh, their way. Uh, so I have had my fair share of political pressures, and uh, it's probably too early to begin to talk about some of this uh, now. Maybe in a matter of a year or so, you can read my <laughs> book. <laughs> 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 uh, and, and, and see some of this. Uh, but there are pressures. Uh, but I think what is required uh, uh, is that once we recognize that an electoral commission needs to be impartial, it needs to be nonpartisan, and it needs to create a level playing field for all contestants, uh, then obviously we have to do everything possible uh, to, to ensure that. And that's what I saw as my task as the chairman of the electoral commission. Um, we made it very clear to INEC officials when we first came in that uh, we would draw the line from what had happened in the past, and that was really what we did. Because by the time we did 2015 general elections, 90% of the staff of the commission were the same people who conducted the 2007 elections that was considered at the worst in Nigeria's uh, history. So all we did was to say, look, you know, we draw the line. Of course, those with clear... Uh, evidence against them in terms of corruption or irregularities, we dealt with them, but there are very few 
it's an issue of uh, uh, what do you what do you call it? Is it a bad egg, giving everybody a bad name? You know, uh, very few people that were bad created a very negative image for the entire commission. So once we ensure that we lived by the legal framework and ensured that anybody who violated it had himself or herself to blame, we were able within the commission to really have people to, uh, to give their best. And many people were actually doing their best under very difficult circumstances. So a little motivation also went a long way in getting people to, to do uh, uh, quite a lot. So really, we handled the pressure by being transparent, uh, by being open, by refusing. Actually, I had to sever a lot of personal relationships with people who were active in politics, but who were my very good friends before I came into INEC, and uh, tried to not just be uh, open and transparent, but also change the perception by what they say, try to be seen to be open and transparent. And I think it helped a lot in managing those uh, 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 pressures. And, uh, and also, one has to keep cool at all times. Otherwise, uh, <laughs> otherwise there, there is enough to, to really make you go crazy if, if you, uh, in that kind of context. Now, um, with regards to INEC monitoring finance, yes, we, uh, the, the, the law requires INEC to monitor finances of political parties to, to ensure that uh, party finances are audited uh, and published and also to regulate campaign financing. We were able since 2011 every year to audit party finances and to have them published with our observations. And we publish them not just on our internet or on our website, but also uh, take paid adverts in newspapers and publish uh, these. Um, but it's a bit more challenging in terms of actually regulating uh, campaign fi fi finances. Uh, the commission lacked the capacity uh, for effective monitoring of uh, uh, pa party and candidate expenditures relating to the elections. And one of the key problems we had was the legal ambiguity in terms of what constitutes uh, campaign expenditure. Uh, so, so that really made it very, very difficult, and we were not able to do it. For example, we received a lot of negative, or rather a lot of criticism uh, when, uh, is it neighbor to neighbor or something, some of those organizations that were uh, campaigning for a candidate, people were saying, why uh, did INEC not uh, ban them or prosecute them? You know, but a lot of that happened before President Jonathan became the official candidate of his party. You know, and uh, the, the, the rules are very clear candidate expenditure is tied to expenditure when you become a candidate and you are campaigning for an election. And many people did not look at the law, did not understand it, and just felt that uh, the Electoral Commission was either being favorable to the incumbent president or was not doing its job 
uh, as it is required. So we would require a lot of amendments to the existing legal framework for the Electoral Commission to be effective in monitoring uh, candidate expenditure and party finances. Uh, but uh, the Commission also needs to build capacity because really countries that are effective in doing that uh, have to invest a lot in terms of creating a very effective unit that is also technology-driven to be able to monitor campaign expenses uh, uh, and uh, expenditures. So I must admit that even though before the elections we produced guidelines to regulate campaign expenditures and uh, tried set up a unit in the restructure and reorganization for that purpose, uh, we have not been able to do it very effectively. And uh, I think leading to the 2019 general elections, this is one area where a lot of work needs to be done. But I must also say that it's not easy in general, from the experiences of many other countries, uh, to, to really reform uh, the role of money in politics and par in particular to control uh, campaign uh, uh, finances. Okay, um, I think we probably have time for three more. Uh, let me go for this middle section here. Well, let's go for uh, one here, this gentleman. You are first, uh, th this person here, this gentleman there. Uh, there's one here, sorry, one here, this gentleman here, and the blonde person at the back there. Good evening, Prof. Um, my name is Ogonamoko, um, the same master student in health policy planning and financing. I just had this question to ask. Um, the, your success really counts based on your successor. One of the best things Nigeria had, and which we really thank um, good luck Jonathan about, was, <laughs> yeah, was his will to really bring someone that was very, very outstanding. When your name was mentioned, all over Nigeria, everybody knew that there was going to be relatively change. Based on your antecedent, everybody knew what you had done with ASU and how you stared them clear. Everybody knew you had faced battle lines that was clear. And even in your speech this evening, you were very, very categorical in stating president of having been in OAS commission and others. And that was one great thing we had going, which gave a lot more force, great hope. When once INEC was mentioned, the only thing everybody could mention <laughs> was Jega, not really INEC. And like you rightly pointed out to us this evening, you've clearly stated that it was same people in 2007 that conducted the infamous election that still conducted the ones after. So invariably, the only change that happened was one man, Jega. Okay. Now, we are now in question? 2015, <laughs> and we've had a retinue of changes of the leaders of INEC. In fact, in the past um, less than six months, we've had like three changes. And my question is, <laughs> when you were leaving INEC, yeah, sorry, I just wanted to set up the prayer. When you were leaving INEC, 
Please. What did you put in place that even if the next person coming after you is questionable, that Nigerians had the right to pull the plug off him just in case things are not exactly the same way you left it? Thank you. Um, Professor Jagat, um, thanks for the wonderful presentation. My name is Rosa Obabatunde. Um, I'm a Nigerian, so I think that was something. Uh, my question is just very straight. Communication, <laughs> communication during the election from INEC could have thrown the country into chaos. Were you aware of this? I mean, did you follow the trend of communication as at the time the um, electoral body was giving conflicting information on the process of conducting the election from the polling unit to the coalition center and to announcing the final result because there was an inconsistency of how to conduct elections for the same election across the country. I think this is something you need to address. And as INEC chairman, I think you have that responsibility to have made it clear to the country. Thank you. Hi, um, my name is Gillian Parker. I was a journalist in Nigeria from 2010 to 2014. I'm now a student. Um, just wanted to, you described uh, the mapping of constitutional voters as a hot potato, and it, and I'm just wondering what um, how you anticipate the the resistance to mapping population in Nigeria, um, and eventually. With may, you may find out that actually Nigeria is not as big as everyone says it is. So I'm wondering if you could just describe kind of the political resistance to mapping populations in Nigeria. Also, um, with uh, voter apathy, um, something that came up when I lived in Nigeria is that, oh, the Southeast, they don't vote, they don't vote. Is that a real thing? And um, is there a reason why, apart from kind of, oh, things are corrupt, is there another reason, maybe something to do with the history in the southeast, why people don't vote and why there is apathy? Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Um, I, I, I would like to say that um, when we came into INEC, uh, uh, really it's not about JEGA. And um, uh, what we did was having recognized that the Electoral Commission was a weak institution, we tried to see what we could do to build it and make it a strong institution that can uh, survive in future the uh, idiosyncrasies of the individuals that may come, uh, either as commissioners or chairmen uh, of the commission. And the whole effort of restructuring and reorganization was targeted at that. And uh, uh, we did quite a lot to build INEC as an institution. And also what we did was collective responsibility. I was the chairman of a commission of 12 and there were 37 resident electoral commissioners for each of the states and the FCT, and we had meetings regularly uh, to identify issues and to think about what needed to be done. 
to address some of the issues that we had identified. So, so really, it's not just about JEGA, even though certainly my experience helped me, you know, but it is not all about an individual or that experience. And there, is, there are no two ways about it, really. We have to build strong institutions. And uh, if we have opportunities, uh, that is an area of priority uh, uh, where we have to pay a lot of attention to. And that's what we try to do with INEC. I have mentioned about developing a strategic plan that was meant to make INEC very, very strong as an institution, not just to conduct the 2015 elections, but even beyond uh, that. And we've created a regularized platforms of interaction and engagement with a range of stakeholders, uh, which it will be very difficult for anybody to come now and, uh, and throw away or truncate. You know, so building an institution is very, very important, and we try to do that. So I really have less fears, you know, about uh, once Jega leaves, uh, then everything will go back <coughs> to the way it was uh, before. You know, and uh, I, I, that's one of the reasons why I resisted the temptation of uh, accepting a second tenure, uh, even though I, I could have uh, uh, got that. Uh, if I had wanted, you know. I, I thought, look, we had an opportunity, we did our best, we tried to build an institution, you know, let's uh, uh, get that institution to work, rather than just continue to see it as if it's only one man that can only do uh, this job. There are, in a country like Nigeria, at least one million jegas, or even better. <laughs> yes, it's just getting the opportunity and putting the right people in Um, now, uh, I think the, the, the next speaker talked about uh, communication, conflicting signals and the inconsistency in communication during the election. I, I, really, I wished you had given some examples, but I think the commission... Uh, uh, Again, relying on the uh, communication policy that we established was very effective, much, much more effective in uh, uh, communicating information uh, in the 2015 general elections than we were able to do in 2011. We established what we call a citizen's contact center, which uh, a month before the election uh, could provide information 24 hours uh, uh, to stakeholders that uh, uh, request information using uh, multiple media uh, to, to access that information. But uh, yes, our partnership with civil society organizations left much to be desired. Uh, we, we, we had a system in which once results are uh, counted at a polling unit, which is consistent with global best practice. A copy of the results were pasted at the polling unit, and uh, uh, civil society organizations and observers had access to that information and were free to upload it uh, uh, on their websites and to circulate the information. And uh, uh, our laws in Nigeria said that Results are not final until they are 
formally announced by the Electoral Commission. Uh, but we had seen a few cases where some civil society organizations, maybe because of political affiliations, uh, actually tested results which were inconsistent with the results that were coming from the polling units. And obviously those will send wrong signals to people who are relying on uh, the social media uh, for information associated with the elections. So those were some of the challenges we faced. But again, that tendency was statistically insignificant, even though it may have misled some people. Uh, in that regard. But I, I don't think it can be characterized as a major challenge of communication on the part of the Electoral Commission or even an inconsistent, uh, inconsistency. I think we, we, we try to be very, very consistent and to provide information. You know, uh, Of course, there was a challenge of uh, 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 how to disseminate the information and to make it effective, and we did our best uh, under very difficult circumstances. Um, the question on resistance to mapping, there is no doubt. You see, in Nigeria, unfortunately, uh, the censuses and the constituency delimitations that have been done have essentially been done under military rule, using military fiat, in fact, favoring uh, some constituencies to the disadvantage of others, who are not really very transparent and, and very open and therefore have less credibility. And when you now want to come and revise constituencies, for example, you know, uh, there are people who felt advantaged by existing uh, constituencies and uh, therefore who do everything to oppose a change in terms of having a very transparent and uh, fair redistribution uh, of these constituencies. And I suppose it's the same thing with, with the census. Census has been one of the most divisive issues in, in our country. And we, we did census in 2006. Our constitution says we must do census every 10 years. Uh, we have not been able to do a census since 2006. You know? so, so really, it, it, it's a very, very serious uh, 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 issue. So, so I agree that there are challenges with trying to do mapping or to uh, whether it's population or demarcation of of uh, constituencies. Uh, but I agree with you that there are many variables that can explain uh, why people don't vote. Uh, but I believe that one of the most significant of these variables has to do with uh, inadequacy of voter education and sensitization. And that's why I think a lot of attention needs to be given uh, uh, to, to that. Um, and uh, uh, we try to forge partnerships, uh, even with traditional authorities and, uh, and uh, religious leaders, uh, thinking that some of those platforms uh, can help disseminate messages better uh, in our own kind of context. You know? But a lot more needs to be done, and uh, it's, it's very, very costly, uh, very expensive to design effective voter education uh, methods yeah, in, in our own context. Uh, so yes, I mean, one key variable has to do, as I said in my presentation earlier on, uh, about the, the, the apathy that has developed over uh, consistent 
um, um, truncation of, of the will of the people in the electoral process. And once people begin to perceive that, you know, whatever we do, the politicians will have their way, then obviously it creates a serious issue uh, uh, which you have to find ways of engagement in addition to just voter education uh, to be able to address. Um, so multiple measures uh, are, are important, uh, taking into account the many variables that are, are at play. Thank you. All right, uh, we've come to the end of our time, but I hope you would all join me in thanking uh, Professor Jega for casting so much light on the, the, the way that this particular election was conducted and creating a real sense of hope that uh, future elections in Nigeria, where many things don't go smoothly, could actually uh, go in a, a more regularized and, and convenient manner, and that many other countries could learn from Nigeria about how to hold elections. Uh, thank you very much. And please